Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructive Criticism. I'm your host, Spencer, and I'm joined by my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, the one that people walk up to instead of the world champion, Mason Clark. How's it going, Mason? I'm doing good, Spencer, doing good. You know, just coming back from the RC in Atlanta. Got the pro- from overshadowing the world champion. Let's let's be clear of what happened. Yeah, as you do, you know, and uh, you know, got my my pro tour invite. Pretty excited about that. Got it with uh, two friends as well. So, you know, a little group I tested with. Uh, we ate up sixteen percent of the invites, and uh, that's an exciting little number. You know, sixteen percent of yeah. all the pro tour invites come back from where we started. That's kind of cool. So, uh, my wife asked me to do this, and you don't know about this, sure. Uh, but we both are going to move our heads to the right in three, two, one. Oh, no, all the way, all the way. She thinks it's so cute that we have the same chair. She, oh. like, thinks it's the cutest. I, I, I have two chairs. Like, I have this chair, and I've got my old uh, old chair. I have an extra life chair downstairs. No, so nice. that's, I, so, but she's like, it's so cute that you and Mason have the same, every time we move our head, she's like, mm. hey, you guys have the same chair. <laughs> Speaking of things that my wife thinks is cute, uh, we're missing Abe today. Just want to give him a shout out. Abe, we miss you. What? My wife can think Abe's cute. He's, it's, it's, he's it's adorable. It's just a good segue. It's all, yeah. just a good segue. Uh, uh, he's adorable. We miss him. We love him. And don't forget that you too can look at the cute Abe the next time he's here by joining the live show by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash ccmtg. Like Larry and Mark, two newest patrons. Uh, thank you so much to Larry and Mark. Uh, I have a, I have a, before we get into always proving, I want to just do the housekeeping first because it's kind of complicated. Um, historically, we have worked with our sponsor to send out wristbands and extra stuff like that. And this week, I tried to send out the wristbands. And they're like, I was like, I'm going to be so cool. I'm going to send three wristbands to everyone instead of one. And let me tell you how that does not fit into a normal size envelope. And they were not happy with me. So, I have to repackage the wristbands. I'm really sorry. I will get them out ASAP. And that is completely my fault. Uh, I was not going to pay $5 per package to send out wristbands and that's it's just my bad you know hashtag always improving which is the next segment of our podcast i've been taking some time mason i think that you know this pretty well you're like one of my best friends you know that i think you actually said it best i think that you texted me today and the way you said it i think you said something like you've been going through it or something and i was (laughs) like yeah 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 yeah." (laughs) and honestly like I just have been taking time, like, thinking about my life, thinking about magic, thinking about All Honesty Smash, thinking about the content creation, thinking about gaming and work and family and, like, just everything so much. And one of the one of the things that, I don't know, I think the always improving that came out of this is that there is an amount of me time that I require. And when I say me time, I I just mean things that make me happy, right? And that can be anything, right? It can be work. It can be family. It can be, it can be content. It can be personal time. It can be video games. It can be reading. But when I don't get that, I am not at my best. And that's, that's kind of hard to quantify when it's kind of a moving target pretty often for me, where you know, I think that if you would ask me right now, like, I played, I don't know, 15 magic matches of Magic this week. And I think for a lot of people, they'd be like, oh, that's like, you know, a decent sized amount of Magic. And like, for me, it's actually not like, 
15 matches of magic is like a day of magic for me. Like that is, that is like no magic in a week. But before that, uh, if you include the time that I spent with, with QJ and Matt and other people, uh, you know, a lot of it was me not playing magic, but I was enjoying that more. And if you think about the amount of time that I played Smash, I actually played like basically no Smash the last week. I basically, basically all I did this week, Mason, if I'm being completely honest, is hang out with Maxwell and play the new Pokemon. I, I had a great time. For those who don't know, I, um, I no longer am employed. Uh, you know, I had been working really hard at getting a new job. My son, for those who don't know, I'll just be really transparent. I believe in that on this podcast. I missed a lot of time on this podcast because my son was in the hospital. Because of my son being in the hospital, combined with starting a new job, things didn't work out of my job. Like, I fell behind at work. I wasn't able to do this podcast. Like, and, and I was always going to prioritize. I'm going to cry. Uh, I didn't think I was going to cry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I was always going to prioritize Maxwell first. You know, if that meant missing five days to ten days of work, like, that was just going to happen. And, you know, it's it's um, taking the time to realize, like, okay, you worked really hard to get this job. You, and, like, unlimited PTO obviously didn't mean what you thought it meant. Uh, it, it's, like a, it's like an always improving moment in, like, understanding what I required to do the things that I want to do, like be the dad I want to be to Maxwell, be the podcast host that I want to be on the show, be the magic player I want to be, whatever it is that I want to do, understanding and prioritizing that is is something that I'm sort of trying to come to terms with. And I, I think that that's a moment that a lot of people need to have. Um, And it's, it's honestly like a moment of... I don't know how to say it other than like a come to Jesus moment. It's like, okay, like, are you, are you like, is this what you want to do? Is this the time, how you want to spend your time? And, um, I'm still trying to decide it, but I think that having that open conversation with myself this last week has been really important. So that's awesome. Yeah. Kind of knowing that sort of thing is it is really hard to like live a life and kind of move forward if you're not sure where you're going. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people can really relate to. So hopefully you're able to figure that out soon. And, you know, I'm glad you've been able to take some time and, you know, play Pokemon with your son and, you know, kind of relax and hear that, you know, he's kind of on the right track to getting healthy again. And hopefully, you know, this holiday, excuse me, hopefully this holiday for you is good. Listeners are going to have to bear with me a little bit here today. I, uh, you know, I went to the RC, hung out with a bunch of friends I haven't seen, basically did a three-day GP weekend. My throat's a little uh, a little sore, so I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> well, speaking of three-day GP weekends. Idea from you, man. What was your always improvement moment this week? Yeah, so my always improving moment, we talked about before, but I think it's really important and kind of circling back around to it. And it's like really being open to like other ideas and being open to like, okay, what's going on? So to give a little bit of backstory, our main topic today is kind of like a sort of big always improving moment uh, lesson type thing. But Regardless, this past weekend, I went to the RC in Atlanta. I decided to play Is It Phoenix, and as we'll talk about later, I didn't have much time to prepare. So what that did mean, though, is that on Friday when I was there, I had a lot of time to talk to players. So I got to talk to players like Kane Reinhardt and Piper Powell and like Jesse Ropkin, who I was working closely for the whole time, but I got to talk to her in the group setting with other people, which changes the way things go, obviously. I got to talk to Ross Merriam a bunch, 
uh, Baker Negan. There's a bunch of really good players and a bunch of Phoenix players too. Jarvis Yu, just a lot of players who are on Phoenix. And Spencer, here's the trick. Everyone was playing Phoenix, and we all had completely different sideboards by like three cards and different plans and the way we were sideboarding. And my deck changed on Friday about eight times, give or take. And I ultimately ended up going back to a thing that was very similar to where I had started, but that wasn't always the case during the process of the day and basically took what was good from everything, understood why they wanted to do everything, trying to figure out what I think was going to give me the, the best chance to win and how I wanted to play and move forward with that. And so the biggest change kind of being like going down a Spire Bluff Canal and up a Storm Carve Coast and, you know, making small changes. That's so funny. I, I think that... We'll probably get into this a little bit during the episode, but I do think the Pioneer's in, like, the weirdest place of any MTG format where it's, like, if you think that you have it solved, it's just probably not true. The day before the event, like, we ourselves were, like, debating whether or not Red Black was just a viable audible. Like, not the day before, but, like, a couple days before, like, Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, is, is Red Black a viable audible? And I don't think that that happens if... There's not a lot of fluctuation in the things that you're able to do and the plans that you're able to have. And Phoenix is like a really good example of a deck that gets to have a lot of different plans. Yeah, I think anyone who thought they had it figured out going to the RSC was basically dead money. Like, it is really hard to have actually played Pioneer and actually have thought about the format and think you have it figured out. Because if you play with any of the decks for like, even like just a couple games and playing against different decks, you realize how exploitable they are. They all are and how easy it is to attack some of them. And it really comes down to like, okay, well, what is the best place to like put my chips for the weekend and hope that I'm in like the spot that has the least amount of things attacking me. And cause there's nothing in pioneer that's like unassailable, you know, like mono green, you can beat Mono Green if you want to beat Mono Green. You can beat Rakdos. You know, like Lotus Field, for example, can beat Mono Green if it puts enough stuff. And Mono Green stops respecting Lotus, which is something we saw this weekend. And we'll talk more of that later, maybe. But basically, I think there were some people who were just like, oh, this format's so easy. I'm not even going to test for this event. And I think they were just dead money and didn't understand what Pioneer is like really about, which in a lot of ways kind of felt like this a little bit during the RCQ season, listening to people talk, but really preparing for this event. It felt a lot like old modern and a lot like it's trying to figure out where you want to be lane wise to be doing the most powerful proactive thing. And then if your thing interacts, it needs to have some unfair element, I think, to be really good outside of Rakdos. You need some Parmesan. You do, you do need Parmesan. And like Galvanic Trespass, doing that combo, taking like time stretch, right? And like take two yeah. turns. It's like that actually just steals That's a bunch Parmesan. of games. No, it's, yeah. it's true. I really love this because I, I think that I don't know how far we'll get into it in this this episode but like i have been saying in ad nauseum that this is basically old modern like you're in old modern and if you don't recognize that you're gonna fall behind where like you have five good decks and you need to figure out what the five good decks need to do and how to do it with those decks while also not falling behind or else you need to come up with something really innovative and new. Yeah. And like, if you're not in that space, right. And you're just like, you think that this is current modern where you can play the same 75 you played three weeks ago. You're going to be sad. Like also, if you play the same 75 in modern, 
from three weeks ago, you're just not trying. Like, well, that's true too. Yeah, it, I, that doesn't mean people don't do it. Sure. But. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 think, I think a good <laughs> example of this is now my co-hosting partner Joe Lissette on the energy coverage, where Joe played Lotus Field, and I think Lotus Field before Brothers War is a punt. Like, there's damping for all the sideboards. The aggregates are really popular. There's a lot of things going on. However, going to this weekend, and it's a conversation like we all as a little group had was like Lotus Field seems really good. We're all a little afraid to pull the trigger, but Joe just kind of pulled the trigger, put four pithy needles in the sideboard, cut thought. Finds out that nobody's playing Damping Sphere at all for the weekend. So it's so funny. All of my Mono Green opponents did. They all had it, but other people's like like not everyone was up on like. Well, I was I was looking at some of so. Uh, let's let's well, save this. Yeah, yeah, actually, we'll, anyways, I'll just let me finish the point real quick. Of just Joe came prepared with four pithy needles for the uh, the Mono Green deck and like. Various other things that that's kind of good against, like Grease Fang. And then also came with a bunch of silences instead of Thought Distortion in order to really beat Mono Green. Because Silence beats Green and Phoenix. Where Silence, if you play against Green, they have no interaction outside of Besage that they can do on the next turn cycle. So you just upkeep, get a whole turn against them. And just, he solved the matchup and took spots elsewhere. And, like, you can do that. So that is all just to say that I think this format was undersolved and people need to be, like, trying harder and also, back to my wisdom proving moment, they need to be, like, thinking and listening and, like, okay, how can we solve these problems? And it's fine to be skeptical of the solutions, but when the events get, when the stakes get higher and people are more incentivized to play good decks, the metagaming gets stronger. The, the less, less incentivized people are, the weaker metagaming is. I love it. Let's go into the main topic, though. And, Mason, I've been taking some weeks off from the podcast, so a lot of people just don't actually know this. But we both won RCQs. Mm-hmm. And then you qualified you. for the Pro Tour this week. Congratulations to you, man. Oh, thank you. We both won RCQs. You qualified for the Pro Tour. I, like, I actually qualified for the RC again this weekend. But I did know that. I was, That was not the point. My invite got passed down, down. Hashtag grow the game. Oh, <laughs> uh, hashtag grow the game. Let's go. Uh, so don't do that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Sign language tip. What you just did does not mean hashtag. You actually have to do it that way. Audio podcast. <laughs> so that's we are also the Joe podcast just, that does not mean that in sign language so yeah so we're going to dive into lessons learned from us qualifying for what we qualified for and I, i'm gonna go first i think that people one are more interested in hearing about mason's rc um and also my events a couple few weeks old so but i wanted to go first uh just kind of knock this out because i think that there were interesting lessons that the the patrons and the, the listeners can learn from this so my last episode before the pick two set review was the like modern deep dive where we we went deep on modern and i I think that people think that that when we do these deep dives like i don't know i i think that some people think it's like a phone-in but that's actually not true like i don't know about you mason but i look at a lot of deck lists i look at what went well what beat what like what happens in these events and for this one specifically there was a deck that i was really impressed with and that deck was Indomitable Creativity. And even on that episode, I said, and uh, uh, shout out to Matt Kling, who's actually watching us live right now on the Patreon-only live stream, is like, this deck looks like Team Escape Shift. Like, the way that it's built right now, the way that it plays against the rest of the metagame, like, this looks like this deck. You and Abe were like, yeah, kind of. That actually kind of is the role that it plays in this format in a lot of ways. And I was like, okay, cool. So when I was going to go to a sealed RCQ, 
And instead, uh, Quentin wanted me to go, former host of the show, wanted me to go with him to the modern one. And I was like, okay, well, I haven't played a game of modern outside of Murktide. What do you want to play? He's like, well, I want to play Murktide. And I was like, okay, well, do you have this deck? This is the the other one I would be interested in. He said, yes. So I go to this event learning on the fly, as I would call it, where like, I don't have time. I'm working really hard at work because of the things that we mentioned earlier in the show. And honestly, I think that it allowed me to learn on the fly based on heuristics from a lot of similar decks that I've played in Magic, which I don't know that a lot of formats other than Modern allow you to do, other than like standard mid-range or stuff, but like it was a lot of learning on the fly. And one of the things that I really think was an always improvement with that is like, I didn't take round one or even round two as opportunities to learn as much as I leaned on those heuristics. And then later in the event started like, like um, showing my worker, like cross checking or like referencing myself where like, it's like, okay, here's what I would do with this deck. What is the difference with this creativity deck that I'm playing? And as as I went further and further into the event, it was easier and easier to make, to like do a math problem and show my work in my head. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. Um, I don't want to take too much of your time. I think we have some points that overlap here. Uh, and I'll talk about it to that when we get to there. But yeah, I think that um, at a certain point in Magic, the amount you get from playing games with decks goes down and it also doesn't matter with time magic but time with deck as well where you start getting diminishing returns on learning from it and so having like this guiding light that like hey mason abe is this tech team or escape shift and we're like good enough and you're like giddy up that's good enough like that that that's like enough to just get you going. honestly it was like straight up that was my number one takeaway after the event too was like it, i was not like this actually just was team or escape shift it was the straight up it's team or escape ship without counter spells is like it's the same deck it's cheap interaction really fast combo like it was the same deck and the intricacies outside of like what is different of team or escape ship and this deck i didn't start learning till about round three and i think that i i don't know that i was wrong for leaning on heuristics as much as i was right for recognizing the similarities, if that's if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. One thing I talk about in coaching a lot is I'll say things like, that was a time... So earlier, just a perfect example. On the show, 10 minutes ago, I said, silence is time walking against monogreen. We all, like, Spencer and I both know, like, Spencer, when he hears me say that, he understands I'm shortcutting it. And it's being like, oh, yeah, you don't get another turn, another combat set, another land drop, another card draw. But you essentially have, like, a very similar effect. And in the context of the format, it plays out like that. And the same thing with like calling this team or scape shift, where it's like it's a combo control deck, allowed Spencer to kind of lean in on that sort of thing and not be like, oh, am I supposed to be like an all-in combo deck like Goryo's Vengeance or something like that, like of old. And it like framing things in a certain way can be really helpful. Even if it sounds a little ridiculous for people who are like, well, actually, it's nothing like time walk because you don't get to attack again. It's like, no, this is like a way to frame things. We're speaking in hyperbole to get the point across and to, like, understand something. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really totally, good. Totally fair. The next thing that I kind of learned as I was going is, like, playing around other people's outs. Like, understanding, like, 
This is this is not as big of a problem in Escape Jeff, but it quickly learned that it was a thing for this deck. We're understanding like, okay, what do how do how does it play creativity to make sure that like they either have the one, two, three removal. So like understanding wind creativity, how much mana, how to how to do that became a, a quick thing that I had to learn. The next one was understanding of like playing to your opponent's outs. You know, cracking cracking my fetches at the right time, building uh, my game plan around the life and the cards that I have rather than... And this is a thing, for actually what it's worth, this is a thing with a lot of combo control decks, uh, actually all the way back to like Splinter Twin, where your game plan is often dictated on how you're drawing and what you're drawing, more so than like, it's not like a normal combo deck where you're like, no, 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 this is what I'm doing. It's like, how can I develop this game into where I win? And that is something that, as you learn a combo control deck, you kind of figure out as you go. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's that's really good. I don't actually have much to add there. I think that's just true. Like, I think you just kind of... Yeah. And then the next thing is, <laughs> I promised Matt Kling that I would talk about it on this week's episode, because he was. I told him this happened. He's like, oh, did you win that game? So in the top, the top eight, I got... It's not Memoricide. It's the black, black Lost one. Lost Legacy. Not that one. The, uh, it's Necro... Necromantia? It, probably that one. Yeah, Necromantia is the other one that sees play. Yeah. So it's game three. I get Necromantia. And I, I I felt like I was in this like really fortunate position that I had played a ton of Team Escape Shift. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, when I say I played a lot of that deck, like, it is, it is my most played deck in Magic. Like, over Titan Shift. Like, I, I played so much team or scape shift uh it was it was when i was playing magic the most it was my favorite deck for a long time and for i think my opponent kept a hand thinking that i would just like crack under that no he cast it he took my archons and i was able to develop the rest of my game plan to be like okay how do i win from here with some fables some stuff how can i use my indomitable creativity to kill his stuff like, what can I do as the control deck to then just be a control deck that wins with 1-1s one, and 2-2s two, and burn spells? And I, I think that the uh, this isn't as much as an always improving, as much as it's like a, a reminder that I know how to play this type of game. Mm-hmm. Where my opponent kept a hand of sideboard cards, where he thought that one of them was so backbreaking that I couldn't win. And I had played so much against... Memoricide effects that I was like, no, there's like not a world in which I'm conceding to this. Uh, good luck. In the year 2022, the Stony Silence Syndrome, which I think I used to call on the podcast, is just a thing that is way worse. Where basically, when I first started playing Modern, Stony Silence was a card that was very, very popular because the artifact decks were very, very good. And people would keep hands that were just like, I don't know, Stony Silence, five lands, and like a cantrip. And they're like, this is my game plan. It's good enough. And it wasn't good enough then. And as cards have gotten stronger, it's not good enough now. So you can't keep hands on seven that are like, you know, four lands, Necromantia, Necromantia, or whatever. Like, you're not going to actually beat any of the good decks in Modern that way. And while Necromantia can be a part of your tool to beat the escape, or the, uh, got me saying it, the, the creativity deck, it, it can't be your only plan. Like, if you go Ragavan into Necromantia, it's like, okay, well, now you're doing something. Yeah, I, I agree. And, like, the fact that my opponent was like, you know, he, he was playing green-black, um, the Gris deck, 
just like didn't play a creature until like turn eight. Mm-hmm. Like he kept all cyber cards, and it was. What do you mean, Yawn? I don't know. It, yes, <laughs> he said green black Gris deck, and I was like, "Is a Gris deck?" And I was like, "Oh, Yawn." Is it? Is that? Well, no, Gris is in the deck, but I, I was yeah, talking right. like Moth. But when you said that, sure. I thought it was like an insect tribal deck for a second. I no. was like, "Get me that." He deck. did. He did. For fun fact, he did. I think it was game two. Did Gris? Act up, jump like that's so sick. He like jumped up when he got it. He was like, "Let's go!" <laughs> it's super. I don't know. Side small tangent. There was a changeling deck about eight months ago in modern where you had all oh, the changelings of pirate hero, and so your grist would just like, like sometimes in middle like four things. It was sick. That's hot. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Continue. For what it's worth, uh, huge shout to my opponent. Uh, I think he listens to the show. I think we've played. I think four times or something. In the like, just in like one case and stuff, and like he's improved a lot at magic. Like, his friends have improved a lot of magic. They're one of like the groups that I think in Utah Magic is like up and coming. And I, I don't want to like sell him short on like this hand that he kept, but it's like those moments where even after you know the game, the judge looks at me and goes, I thought you were dead after you got one more. Like, I, I just thought you were dead, and I was like, No, nah, dude, like, you know, many times I've had my scapeshift thought seized, like. A thousand. Like, it's happened so much times. And the the thing that was so nice is, like, relying on my lands to understand, like, okay, what is this 1-1 deal that's similar to what, like, a Valica trigger would deal? And how can I maximize that 1-1? What is... How do I maximize my fables to discard dead cards where, like, they don't matter anymore? How, like... And just shifting your entire game plan from I'm this creativity deck to... Now I'm a Fable Dorvin mind deck. And, like, it is, it is too often people give up, and I have been one of them a lot of times. And I think that in a, so many situations, I would have been the type to give up in this situation. But because I had played a lot, and because we'll talk about the next piece in a little bit, I wasn't willing to give up, so... So, this kind of happened at the RC, too, and uh, I'm going to use Jesse Robkin, a friend of the show, as the example where Jesse and I prepared with each other for Phoenix, and we'll get into this later, but red-black versus Phoenix, not a good matchup. Your only worst matchup is really Lotus Field. So, this is like you're trying to dodge it, you don't want to play against it. And Jesse was talking to me about the event, trying to learn from the event and having these thoughts, and she mentioned to me when we were talking one-on-one how she got paired against red-black and thought, no, I'm uh, not this early, because it was like round three. Right. And I got paired against Red Black that same round. And I like snapped hold. I was like, I thought time to step my game up. And that is like a huge thing. I think it was something that like really was important for her to kind of learn and like kind of have to learn where your bad matchups are not the ones you get to slack on. Like if you're going to do well in the tournament, you have to win bad matchups. It's just going to happen to you. And you can't give up when it's like, oh, well, they necromantiated me. What am I to do? Or like, oh, they have a bunch of cyborg cards. What am I to do? It's like, no. How do I win? What do I do? How is this yeah, game winnable? It, this sounds so cheesy, right? It's like a glass empty, glass half full thing. But like, it is it is that moment where you're like, okay, do I let this break me? Or do I see it as an opportunity to improve? And... If I'm being honest, if I had not been playing a combo control deck, and honestly, if I hadn't played a cubic ton of Smash the last month, I might have let it fold me. 
Yeah, I I think that it's so hard to like be in those situations and have it happen. And I don't know that it was more I don't think that I thought about it this deep other than I made a conscious decision to think about what my options were. Mm-hmm. But if you always make that conscious decision, then it's not then it's not like a this or that, right? It's just what happens. Exactly. Yeah. The the never giving up in a topic was was part of it. I <laughs> was play I played against a teammate in top four. It was a two two person qualification. They had told me I don't know the name of the cyber card. You're probably gonna know it better than me, but like there's a cyber card that like you can discard for free to stop creativity and put and like steal their creativity's crap. It's over. They're, yeah. So I gotta play around that a little bit. Uh but that matchup was so bad for my opponent that it didn't matter. Like I had I had actually beaten them uh to go th- to start 3-0 and like they like sat down defeated. <laughs> they were like they didn't listen matches. to the podcast from the future <laughs> and hear how you can't give up during your bad matchups. No, I uh so they were actually playing hardened scales. Wait, they were and playing hardened was, scales? Yeah. And you beat them 4-0? Uh no, I beat them 4-1, okay. but I think that that is a buy. I interesting. I would have to look no. at the modern hardened scales list. Maybe their list was different. Yeah, it, it might be it, just be like those things. Are it felt like a bot, like straight up like fire ice was insane against them. Uh, the the fact that uh, Prismari command kills an artifact like their best card. They, the only game that they won, they had three of the regenerative zero mana artifact. A welding jar. Yeah, welding jar was insane. Like. To the point where I might mulligan to that card in that matchup. Good. Welding jar works on your things too, I think, or something like that. Like uh, it has it's, there's, no, no, sorry, it's uh, it's the other card I'm thinking. Of. There's a different card that stops your combo, but yeah, continue. What what is it? It's a uh, blacksmith scale. It, it, so like oh they they yeah yeah they're not they I don't think they were the playing white, that it sounds like but no I don't think they were yeah like just sort of if you're listening you're playing hammer time if you blacksmith skill the opponent's creature it gives it hexproof. Uh, and because of the way the card works and everything, it actually stops the creativity. And since it also targets artifacts, it makes it so they have the creativity for two against you. So I was already doing that yeah. because of the cyborg card we talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's just like a, a hammer, like a hammer time player thing. It's yeah. really weird. Yeah. I, like it's not intuitive to me at so, all. But <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that I think that they were playing mono green okay. for what it's worth. Sure, sure, sure. Mono green scales, but that matchup felt like a buy. And one of the other things is like. I never let the fact that like the that I was having to learn this these hardened skull cards that I've never played against affect me. Like it was very much like a okay, what am I learning? What am I learning? What am I downloading? And in all honesty, like that just is I'm gonna say it. I know that some people don't like it, but like that's from Smash. Like downloading live, I was never good at that in Magic. Ever. I had to play hundreds of matches to download my opponents in magic and I can now do it so much faster because of smash bros. It's crazy. And I was able to download really quickly in this event, never give up because of that. I don't know, cross skill. Mm -hmm. And I, I really appreciated it. My last thing is, you know, sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is deliver on a promise. We did not know this before I won, but we all assumed that this RC was for Anaheim. And I told my wife that I I promised my wife 
that I would qualify for Anaheim so we could go to Disneyland as a family. I won. My son was on the phone. I got a, I wish I had recorded it. He goes, uh, he hears I win the RCQ. He goes, we're going to Disneyland. Like he was so stoked. We're still going to go to Disneyland for this. Um, That's awesome. Just, just like, oh, I'm going to cry again. They were all cheering for me. It was great. Mm-hmm. So That's awesome. I love to hear yeah, it. almost as cool as going to your first real PT, Mason, <sighs> Mr. Our... I Never Went to a Real PT. Okay, first off, I'm allowed <laughs> to say that. Everyone else can say I 11-5 my first PT. Second off, <laughs> I am excited to go to my first paper PT. I finally get to do it. <laughs> you did? You already went to the PT? I know I did. I know. I knew. I, I knew the second you qualified. It's like, Mason's going to be so stoked to go to his first, quote, real PT. Yeah, so it's a thing where it's like, my 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 first PT was online, and like I got to like play against this. And one, I will say this: one of the cool things about the online PT was when I played against the Thief that night. I got to go and watch the VOD because he streamed it, and I got to like see it in real time from like funny things where he went like, "Whoa, greedy on the ops," because I had like two ops instead of four, and like uh, you know things like that. And I also got to watch and like see that like the thing I was representing was being respected in real time, and like getting to like hear the thought process was a huge thing for me. It was really helpful. So it wasn't all bad. However, fun fact, if you're watching YouTube at home, you're at where my first PT is right now. This is the chair. I get it, man. This is the room. It was, this is my PT. I, I come here it. every night. I love it here. <laughs> and it's just not the same. It's not the same. All right. I, I, so first of all, I, I want to be clear that I'm teasing me. Yeah, yeah. I, I know he's I, teasing me too for what it's worth. I just joke. About I it. I don't know. Like, I, I got to leave the country for my first PT. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I ever left the country. Like I was gonna joke that Philly's yeah. not the country. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke. It's like a what? I was gonna joke that Philly was like a Neverland place because I saw always sunny in Philadelphia and it's crazy there. But then I realized that joke's not funny, and then I just said it on the podcast. And also that Philadelphia is in this country. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's part of the joke too. Okay. It was like an always sunny <laughs> style of like absurdist humor, and then I was like, now I won't do All it. Right. And then you asked me, and now I, I mean, you could make a Canadian joke. I would also make one. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Canada yeah, out of the country <laughs> is a little loose. I'll give you that, but uh, you know, I know that um, you know Matt had gone to his second pro tour. I think the same time frame around that you did, mm-hmm. and it was. It was different. Like the, the the pro magic scene was changing. This is like the first pro tour that I think people feel like matter again in a long time. And yeah. I while I'm teasing you, because like is this not your third pro tour? Is this your second? Second pro tour. Okay, I thought it was your third for some reason. No, no, you're good. Well, it's your second, like I didn't want to lose the fact that like, hey, you did it again. Like you've yeah. you've you've crossed the barrier that a lot of people don't get across. Yeah. Like you it sucks that your first one, you know, wasn't the greatest, but I just want to say so many people, including myself, like they go to the first one, then they go have two kids and they never do it again. Yeah. Like you, you've crossed that line. I'm, I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It means a lot. It is the thing. So it's, it's kind of hard to talk about, but I guess we'll, let's touch on this just for a second. So I'm sure a lot of people felt this way. I am of the firm opinion that the MPL killed competitive magic. And that was the thing. Uh, the MPL was great for a lot of people who are really close and personal friends in my life and got them a lot of awesome opportunities. That's great. I love that for them. However, the MPL killed competitive magic for a lot of ways. And, like, it's in part a reason why I played the SCG circuit so much, because that was dead. However, with the return of the regional Pro Tours, which was happening at the same time as the MPL, it kind of came back a bit. Spencer, you have a question? 
I just want to say that if there was no MPL, this podcast would be hosted by John Stern and Spencer Howland and probably Seth Manfield still. No, I get it. You're not so, happy with me. I'm the one you settled with. <laughs> I, just, I, just wanna, I just want to say I love John. I miss you, John. And he would agree with you. He would just mono. Like, if John was here, he'd be like, he'd do a 50-minute segment on how great Mason Clark is. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And so um, it kind of killed it. It kind of killed the dream. And I, I want the opinion of the dream. The carrot is unattainable. It's attainable for everyone, but the, like, golden goose train is not and that uh you can reach after a long time but a lot of people kind of sewer themselves in that way and so anyways that's all to say that making the pro tour was like a thing i cared about again once the regional pts and then like the i don't know what they call them the super pts or whatever came back through the appeal age right before covid and we never got to have the paper super pt or everyone but if you look at dream hack and the way they're doing it with the rc spoilers this was just the regional pro tour like if you qualified for the RC, you call. I told everyone that. I literally told. I want. I gotta. I have to go off. I have to. I told everyone that qualified. I was like, "You just qualified for the Pro Tour." They're like, "No, it's the Regional Championship." I'm like, no, it's not. So this is what the Pro Tour was. So I, this is how I stand. This is this is my my stance on it. I do not count qualifying for the RC as qualifying for the Pro Tour because I think we're getting just some weird arbitrary areas. I will say this: it is essentially the same tournament. So if you are excited to queue for the Regional Pro Tour, you should be excited to queue for the RC. It is a similar caliber tournament. I hung out with, like, you know, Seth Manfield and Aether Stewart and, like, a bunch of Platinum Pros. It was like that again. There were a lot of people there. So I'm not trying to litigate anything. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say I'm excited to get to go and play kind of what was, like, going to be the super one, the big one that I was like, oh, that'd be so cool if I could get to that one. That's, like, what I really want to do. And I really want to make the Pro Tour again because I think what Spencer mentioned about the kids thing has happened. But I think for a lot of people, there's kind of, like, this three paths where, like, life kind of goes on and maybe come back to magic. Some people are just like, oh, I did it. That's enough. And then there's the third where it's like, okay, well, I've got to do it some more times to prove it's not a fluke or whatever. And for me, it was like that way as long as it was in paper. But when it was online, I just didn't care. Like, I am not happy sitting at my computer playing Magic all day. So we're going to get into some lessons here now I'm done saying this. But, yes, I'm very excited to play the Paper Pro Tour. I cannot wait to play Philadelphia. February 17th, I'll be there. Uh, and I want to say this before I get into all the lessons, too. Thank you, everyone who came up and stopped me at the event. There were, like, literally 50 of you who stopped and talked and I got to meet a bunch of you. And it was super awesome. And if you see me at the future events in Philly, do not be like, oh, Mason doesn't want to talk. Oh, he's playing the tournament. I want to talk to you. And if I can't afford to, there was one person I was like, I have two minutes over the clock. I've got to use the bathroom. I'm sorry. I'll find you later. Unfortunately, I couldn't. But stop me and it will not be a problem. On to my lessons learned. Can I, can I, can I add on? <laughs> yeah, sure. I know that just like a number of people that have been like, hey, I'm really sorry to message you or I'm really sorry to come up to you at like a local event or wherever I am. I'm going to cry again. What is this episode? Uh, the number of people that message me that this podcast or myself had some impact on them making the RC. I just hope that all of you know that you did that. Like it wasn't me. It wasn't Abe. It wasn't Mason. It wasn't Seth. It wasn't like every single host of this podcast did not do that. That was you. Anyways, uh, the message has meant a lot. And just like Mason, I, I hope that you will always come up 
if I'm next to the world champion, though, and you come up and ignore the world champion send me, I'll be really freaked out. Anyways, now we got all that stuff aside. Sorry for the tangent there. Uh, when you qualify for the Pro Tour, you get a little tangent on your podcast. It's fine. So, I had some lessons learned from this. Some of these things are kind of in the same vein as Spencer. Uh, I didn't want to overlap too much. I want to give him his time. But, you know, we already get to have more of a convo about some of them. So, the first thing for this PT qualification and this RC Atlanta, the first one, it was super exciting. I didn't get to play that much leading into it. So, I, I played a decent amount of head-on head on 1v1 stuff. And I got to play some Pioneer Leagues. But with the way everything was going, it had to happen a lot on Cockatrice for practicing. And at the same time, I was in the middle of interviewing for a new job and it was taking a lot of time. And I kind of had to work with around that. So I didn't get to play that much. However, what that did mean is that I had some people I was talking to and able to work with, like Jesse from the show that we talked about here. Someone gets brought up a lot. Um, and with that... I really leaned on her and others to, like, go play games, report back to me. And, like, also, like, you play games, I watch, I, like, synthesize information. Or, like, trying things out. And so, we mentioned it last week uh, at the beginning of the show. So, I'm sure you heard Spencer and listeners, they listened last week's episode. But, like, things like taking the draw against Red Black as Phoenix is, like, my way of helping because I can't do the time. It's the best part of that episode, by the way. If you didn't listen to last week's episode... The, the the like fusion dance that Mason and Abe do mm-hmm. just during that segment was really cute. I want to I want to mm-hmm. talk about like this is something I felt from you for what it's worth, mm-hmm. and I I think that one of the things that like people expect from us on Patreon, for example, is like that we're all like playing like two hundred matches of Magic Week, and that's just not true. Like we we all have lives. We're going to give you the best information that we have, and you were really honest mm-hmm. on Patreon. You said you you were honest that you were between mono green and this. Like you were super high on mono green. Mm-hmm. You saw mono green's weaknesses. Like you were really honest. And also, I don't think that you like pretended that you were just jamming the like oh. two hundred matches. You were just like, here's where my thoughts are on the format and answered questions. Yeah. And I I think that like often we undervalue people who aren't like i don't know grinding the the nonsense mm-hmm. when i i don't know i think that that's overrated like hollow plays like 50 matches of magic a year and still is like the best player in the world yeah uh <laughs> I, I i just don't need i don't need five matches of heroic versus modern green to tell you what matters in that match i need zero i yeah you know? it, <laughs> it, i know i think i think that that's super important yeah. which actually i think goes to your next point yeah well so I, I probably should mention how i ended up on phoenix i'm sure some people care about that and i did kind of mention on the show there and this actually kind of ties into the low practice and maybe it's something that's helpful for listeners so Going into the RC, number one on the, the totem pole was Modern Green. I understood Modern Green had weaknesses. I understood that people were going to be trying beating it. However, Modern Green is the most powerful proactive thing you can be doing in the Pioneer format. And I would say up until about Tuesday night, uh, Modern Green and Phoenix were the two choices. Uh, different points, things like Kruga Fires, Grease Fang. Excuse me, I'm so sorry, my throat. Kruga Fires, Grease Fang. Uh, it was specifically Learn Grease Fang, which I think we did some great work on that. And Kruger Fires, I think I specifically made the deck infinitely better. I 5 0 like four leagues with it, and it never got posted because my deck was too similar, except I cut Omnath. And my deck, I just like couldn't lose the Kruger Fires. So you should play Kruger Fires without Omnath. 
But those sort of decks were up there, but Arclight quickly became number two, in part because a bunch of players I thought were really strong made a lot of really good arguments about Arclight Phoenix, and positionally, it made a lot of sense that it would be good against Mono Green, or good enough against Mono Green, um, and then do a red-black impersonation. So basically, my thesis was, Arclight Phoenix is red-black mid-range that has a better Mono Green matchup and has a worse matchup against some of the other things throughout the field, but not so worse because it still has Temporal Trespass plus Galvanic Iteration to steal a game. So I can build my sideboard to kind of fight things. And so I ultimately landed on Phoenix. That's kind of the whole process. The deck is very good. And I can tell you exactly how many games I played with Phoenix. I played about 50 matches. Oh, sorry, sorry 50 post-board games versus Red Black. Because Jesse and I could not figure out how to beat Red Black. And we would play games from both sides. And we would change our sideboard. And we would change the plan. And we'd do everything. And we won about 10 of those 50 post-board games. I played no game ones because I knew that I was favored game one. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that my deck full of draw threes is going to beat them. However, post-board, my deck doesn't have draw threes. They have a bunch of graveyard hate. So, so I, that's the only match I, I tested, by the way. That that was it. I would, <laughs> I would never let this podcast promote anything other than MTGL. So I don't know uh, what you're talking about. All right, cool. I just wanted to check. Yeah. All right, keep going. So, um, <laughs> anyways, I, I played 50 matches of Red Black uh, with, with Misery Shadow and New Things, and the matchup was awful. I I scoured uh, all of Magic where, like, I thought about playing Hazaret. I thought about playing Confiscation Coup. I thought about playing, like, so many cards that, like, are kind of wild, but ultimately we landed on Crackling Drake just because, honestly, Crackling Drake's not even good against Red Black. But sometimes they don't kill it, and you get to cheese them and hit them. And Crackling Drake is really good against all the other graveyard hate in the format. So it's really just kind of you're like not even good in the matchup card, but sometimes you get lucky. And it's really good in a bunch of other matchups. And this is already a bad matchup, so don't worry about it. Now I forward red black. Well, it's but... like <laughs> hold on, because I think what you're saying is not necessarily true. Where like you can force them to do other things with their mana. Then suddenly you have a Drake, and if they don't have the removal spell, then they're just cheesed out. Well, the problem is all the other plans aren't like good enough. So like with mid, like Graveyard Trespasser checks all the Phoenixes, and like and if you could solve this, that'd be great. Like I'm legitimately not saying you're wrong. I'm like this is where I, the problem I, I've had. I will I will challenge that Graveyard Trespasser is bad, and you should not play. It. No, it is part of the reason we cannot win. That card is crucial to the deck. My 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 easiest match was the person oh, who cut graveyard trust. I want to arm wrestle you. It, that that card is really good. Cutting that card is a mistake. It it's fi it's fixes okay. aggro matchups really well and is really good against the graveyard decks. It's like glue. It is not like a pillar. Does that make sense? Keep going. Okay. Anyways, so blood tithe harvester like kind of gets cut for shadows. Bone crusher giants get cut and they just bring in a bunch of removal. And then you like have a really hard time. This is not true. People weren't cutting blood tithe harvester for shadows. They were cutting no 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 graveyard trust. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I'm talking about sideboard. No, no, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying that people were just playing Shadow's main. I agree. I so so for its okay. worth, during previous season, Misery Shadow was the most obvious include ever. Derek, you were dumb for thinking it was bad, but I wasn't allowed to talk to you about <laughs> it. You had me come on your like preview stream and you're like, was this card good? I think it's kind of bad. It's like, no, Derek, you were wrong about Shieldred, you're wrong about this. This card's obviously good in the deck. Like it, it's just so obvious. It, it was I was going crazy watching people litigate if Misery Shadow was good. Like that yeah. and Omnath in the fire stack was like when I said break the when I said we were testing if if hold on I need to say this because as you said on the podcast I just said like twenty minutes ago we were testing to see if red black was just a viable audible 
the whole reason is this card just does it just make the matchup go from like 80-20 from mono green to like winnable. Yeah, it does a lot. And the answer is yes, by the way. In case anyone was wondering, we still landed on like 70, 30, 65, or whatever. But yeah, like actually the fact that like you just get to kill four fours and exile them so they don't come back as two mana lands. And then the fact that like your already good match against Phoenix was insane. Your matchup against like every stupid uh, graveyard deck just gets way better. Well, uh, all all of your it. aggro matchups get better too. Because th think about this play pattern, which is like a, a real play pattern is I play Shadow on turn two on the play. You play whatever is the best two drop in the format for aggro for your deck. Any of them. Use attack. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah, well, no. I, I don't even have to attack. And let's say I have nothing I can do because just I have go. a bad draw. Yeah. Just all say my go. bad draws are uh. flood. You can't attack me. So anytime yes. I'm winning, I uh. went harder. Anytime I'm losing, this I stabilize. It's this just was, so obvious. I, it's like literally it like, took one it second of like reading the card. Took one literally second. five turns into us testing. I'm it's just me and Matt Kling. I was like, why is this colorless? Like, what why? Why does this activate for colorless? I don't understand. Well, regardless, Misery Shadow is just the most obvious include of all time. And unfortunately, I think if you're smart enough to figure out Misery Shadow, you figure out you get to play three shieldreds now because you want some top end. And that's really good against the Arclight deck. So that's how we had our deck built, and it was really hard to win. Now, most of my opponents had Misery Shadow, and uh, I'm sorry, they all had Misery Shadow. Some had it. I think one person had one, and all my opponents had three Shieldreds. But we over we overcome it. We won. Um, and that is the next point of playing terrible matchups. So you said maybe for a long time ago we were on a cantrip. I played against Red... I don't think I actually played that many good matchups at the RC, but I played against Rakdos midrange four times. Four times I played against, including one time Spencer where my opponent had main deck go blank. They had main deck go blank against me. And they had more on the sideboard. And I very easily won. And the reason is, is because I played that matchup so much against Jesse, who was way better than all my opponents, or at least the way they played that day. I'm sorry if you're listening. And I got lucky in spot. I, got, I, I definitely got lucky. I'm not going to say like I just outplayed everyone. I had like one moment where my opponent goes like, Fatal push your bird with a shadow in play. Go blank, go. I have no cards in hand, four lands, and I rip pieces of the puzzle into pieces treasure cruise. Like, I did get lucky in spots. However, I also played really well and did not allow the fact that I'm playing a terrible matchup to stop me. It's like, if I'm going to go to the Pro Tour and I'm going to do well at the Pro Tour, I have to beat bad matchups. I well, don't it, get to it, get there on easy matchups only. It's that mindset, right? Like, yeah. the second that you see somebody freaking play a... I mean, just... And honestly, like some of these plays, uh, uh, Blood Crypt, you're like, all right, well, this is what I'm in for. Like, I signed up for this. Yeah. If if you don't, I think we talked about this while in the podcast, like in Ad nauseum. But like, no, you. It's because we talk about modern so much. Like, you you sign up for your bad matchups. Yeah. Well, and in this yeah. RC too, you know it before Mulligan because it's open necklace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you you signed up for it, so. Did did you or did you like sign up hoping to like coin flip seven? Like, no. why didn't you just flip seven coins before going? Like, you could have just decided if you're going that way, just yeah. go do that. Like, I don't know. It, and for what it's worth, I kind of did do that specifically for Red Black. I kind of just said like because Jesse flew down to where I was and then drove with me to the event because it was cheaper that way for her. And we were talking to the car, and I was like, "Yeah, we'll probably play Red Black like 
six or seven times between us to probably three three to two four to four two eight you know like depending on variance or whatever and it'll probably be a split between us that way but like we're gonna beat them at least once we win every game one it's so easy despite never having played it <laughs> it's just not that hard to think about uh and for me kind of what Spencer's saying they're like when they played the go they go the blood crypt it is not a oh no not like this moment it's a okay you cannot slip like it's really easy to slip and i think it's a really it's a big gap between players who are good and players who are great are the ones who do not slip when things get easy uh ever and it's like a thing where it's like i don't lose games that i shouldn't lose like i win games i'm supposed to win you have to be able to do that if you're gonna be great at magic i i've actually said that's been my biggest strength in magic forever Mm -hmm. and people don't quite understand what that means Mm -hmm. where like you don't get lazy when you're gonna win yeah you force the issue yeah the the secret is you're never supposed to get lazy but yeah you you definitely shouldn't get it when you're about to win that's how you lose right exactly and then the the flip side of that is like that means that the times to tighten up are the times where it's hard Mm -hmm. i want to i want to talk about your next point though yeah which is not leaning on heuristics. Yeah. This is probably something worth mentioning. Um, I have played Arclight Phoenix at three tournaments ever that I really cared about. And all three times, I had not gotten to play Arclight Phoenix before. So the first time was Day One Hogak SCG in uh, 2018, where I was very new to the grinder scene. And I was told by one Oliver Tomiko that this is the deck to play. I was teammating, I was teaming with Oliver Tomiko's teammates. And I was new to the scene, and I was not going to bullhead them, and so I did what the team said to do. And I played Dark Light Phoenix. We lost two winning ends. It was fine. It wasn't the best deck, obviously. The next time is two a uh, year ago, where I'm playing a team SCG. My friend Bob and Cheese flight gets canceled. I have to become the pioneer player, and we scramble last minute, and I play Dark Light Phoenix. And then now, now. So I have heuristics with Dark Light Phoenix, but every time I've played it, I've never practiced. Like, I just had to go in raw. and But there are some heuristics that you can lean on, and there are in Magic. However, at the RC, I wanted to make sure that my deck is medium on power, but high on selection. And so I never instamate any choices if I didn't know it was 100% game. And I thought through the variables on everything. I had so many pieces of the puzzles where there's like 40 minutes, well, 20 minutes left in the round. It's game three, and I insta-saw the two picks I'm supposed to take. But I took some time to think about, am I supposed to take Spike Field Hazard and ping them for what? Is that the line here? And just making sure not to lean on anything like that and just figure each play out for itself and make sure I'm doing the work. We talked about this. This is uh, where Mason didn't want to interrupt me earlier in the podcast where I was talking about like Mm -hmm. checking your work, so to speak. That This is exactly what Mason was like. I don't want to interrupt you. I'll talk about this later. Mm -hmm. This is the moment, right? Where you're here here's the thing but x but y Mm -hmm. this is really important to like getting that next step yeah yeah and it's something that if you've ever seen the the chart there's like a meme chart online where it's like uh big dumb green creatures are cool and it's like you know a little kid and then like they get to the point where they're like kind of a medium wizard and like big dumb creatures are stupid and then they get to like being a pro and like big dumb green creatures are good that's like this, where it's like thinking about every play at the beginning, then I don't need to think about it and then think about every play. So, you know. Yeah, it, it's there's like a process of elimination that you don't get to until you get to it. Yeah. And I think that what happens really often, and it's not fair, is that people try to eliminate parts of the process too early. Mm. 
And we just have to be honest with ourselves and where we're at in magic. And we all want to be where we're not. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I know that I have done this a lot of times where I'm trying to eliminate a part of the process that I'm not at. Mm-hmm. And Mason, I'm five matches from qualifying from like six pro tours. Like I, like there is, you, you have to be honest about like, do you know this thing so certainly? Because when you're wrong, it really hurts. But when you're right and you do get to remove that mental step, it's really powerful. And also, when you don't rely on those heuristics that you're talking about, it becomes, I don't know, like really high percentage points. Basically, always you should not rely on heuristics. However, it is a good thing to be able to fall back to when you need to start playing Turbo Magic or you get tired. And basically, you need to kind of like raise your resting rate and raise your heuristics so the parts where like you are human and by default you will make mistakes, you are not a computer. When that time happens, you're at a higher spot than your opponent. And for some players, like PV, that's just higher than most people all the time. And you just need to be higher than them. So, you know, heuristics are good. But challenging yourself thinking about things, especially in an event like this where it's open deck list, I knew every card in my opponent's deck. It is very, and this is my next point, is playing with the open information better than my opponent's. I knew everything my opponent can do. And I mentioned earlier in the show, I think I mentioned this on an episode a couple months ago. But basically, like, I think I'm very good at knowing what matters without playing the games and just kind of reading, right? So when I read an open deck list, it's like, oh no, they have this. That matters, right? And then post-board, like we're talking about the match, like, oh, I didn't sideboard, I didn't think it matters. And it's like, woo, lucky me, you know? But this happened a bunch in the RC where like, for example, last round of day one, I'm playing against blue-white control. My opponent and I are having a good rapport. We're joking back and forth. And, you know, we go to sideboard, and he goes, yeah, game one's the dicey one, but postboard, I got those rips. And they had two rips in their Yorion control deck. But they also had a Lyra and a Baneslayer. And since I knew they had both and they had Yorion, I left in all three of my lightning axes. And on turn five, when they hadn't done much all game, they slammed a Lyra. I simply lightning axed it and killed it and moved on. And I had all the information, and my opponent's jaw literally dropped. They're like, uh, you left in lightning axe. And then they were scared to play the Lyra they had in their hand and missed their land off on the next turn. And they tanked for a minute because they were like, this person's crazy. They left in Lightning Axe with their thinking. But I just outplayed you in that portion of the game because I knew this was the only way you could beat me. Your deck isn't good against my deck. Your deck is clunky. My deck is efficient. And that sort of playing with the information is important. And this is why when we talk about it practicing on the show, and we get this question every once in a while on Patreon, and they're the patron only question. It's like, how can I practice without playing games? Or how can I practice better? And I tell you all, go and read all the other decks and look at what people are doing because I want you to understand their decks so that you can do what I'm saying. If I'm the blue-white control player, I look at that sideboard, I had four cards that mattered. Two rips, two angels. That's it. If that's the case, from my side, I should leave in my lightning axis if they're going to bring in the angels. And if they don't bring in the angels, they have Yorion. They'll always have something I can kill. My deck has looting effects. I can get rid of these. That is all to say, you can do a bunch of work and think about a bunch of things and having never played the deck, whenever done those things, if you just understand it. So go read an article. Watch a deck tech from Spencer about somebody. Yeah. It's so easy. I. It, it's so funny. The number of times that I get like questions on my deck techs that's like, hey, you gave me cyborg guidelines. But like, where's the cyborg guide? Or like, you gave me, like, it's like, I, that's not how I sideboard. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll write, like, an initial sideboard guide sometimes. 
But I, I think that what you just said is really important where it is, hey, I know that X or Y mattered. Mm-hmm. We talked earlier, and I want to go to your last point because it is the same point, and I want to really hammer home as my last point. But we talked earlier about how in in my matches, in, in my RCQN, there was this moment of like the things that mattered mm-hmm. where – I was like, okay, well, now I just have to creativity for two, mm-hmm. right? Where, like, that's my option. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that is way more important than a sideboard guide or than I've played zero matches of this deck, mm-hmm. right? How did I come to that conclusion, Mason? It was from looking at decks and talking about cards. Yep. Before I move on, I do want to give a shout out to a listener on the show. I believe it's Phil in the moment. I'm freaking out, but I'm pretty sure it's Phil. They were one of the few people who did a better job of playing. Well, maybe not better. They also played open deck list really well. And very early on, activated a layer of the Hydra as Monogreen against me to push like four damage just to play around my counter spells. And that was really good of them. And like, I actually think that, that was really important this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume that most of the people in the top, like, 32. There were a ton in the top of the two. We didn't get to talk about the tournament too much today. Maybe we'll talk about it in a little bit for the U.S., but, like, the top 32 littered with mono green, top eight zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we noticed in testing, Lair of the Hydra activations mm-hmm. early, super important. Yeah. But, but... I'd love to talk about Monogreen after we get done with this last point. If you want to, I'm down to. I have a lot of thoughts. I, I, let's do it. Let's do it in the post. Sure. Like, let's, let's stay afterwards. Sure. Uh, for those watching, and they can they can watch the the post show. Sure. Because I think your last point on staying focused on the goal is really important. It is what I was crying about earlier, and I'm I'm gonna steal a little bit of this from you to just say that like the best magic of my life is played when I am focused on something where I know what I'm trying to do. I think that uh, this might not be what you meant, but to me. That is the, the the message I was trying to get across with, like, getting my family to California and, like, making it, like, a combo trip. For me, I, I mentioned it earlier about testing and stuff and kind of full circle here, like a narrative plan or something. I have a bunch of other things going on in my life. The next couple of months are really, really busy, and I, I'll talk about that when the time comes. But, and I've got this job thing I'm working on, and it's really easy to think about all of that when you're at the RC. However... I have dedicated time, money, time off work, and made all this happen to go and play this tournament. And it, it's, you know, I am here to get the Pro Tour invite and to play the best Magic I can. And I'll be honest, I really wanted another banner. I thought it'd be so sick if they had two DreamHack banners with me on it. So I really wanted to win. It's one of the few tournaments where, like, I don't know if I would take the handshake of, like, you get the Pro Tour invite versus winning. You know what I mean? It's like I wanted the the banner. So I had to stay focused on the goal the whole time. And it's really easy to slip up and think about other things. And, you know, one of the games I just got, like, very unlucky. And it's like, wow, my deck kind of fell apart. That really stinks. Oh, well, like, other things are going on with life as well. Push those aside. I have only these two days to get to the Pro Tour and then do this thing I want to do and have that experience and see my friends and play International Magic and get a chance to play against someone like uh, Saito, you know, like I don't get, I don't get those chances very often and I want to do that. So I have to stay focused now. I'm in striking distance. Stay focused, Mason. And I did. And I got there. 
So this, mm-hmm. I split in the finals of state championship, got the state championship win. Oh, the final match. Okay. <laughs> this, for those watching, I said no. They offered a split. I was like, no. I want to be a two-time state champ. I want everybody to shut up. So when you were talking just now, you're like, no, I want this thing. I get it, man. I'm proud of you. I One, I'm proud of you for like a lot of reasons. It's really, I'm going to just go off for like half a second, then we're going to wrap up the show. But like a lot of people think that I'm like a fanboy of Mason, but they don't know that like Mason is just actually like one of my like very, like five best friends, like actually literally if he wanted to live at my house for free he could do it like they they don't i'm not a fanboy like i'm a fan of mason because i love him and i'm the goat so so it's just like your early in you know it's like a lebron fan i hate you so much (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) like i i call mason swear words like 15 times a week Mm -hmm. like it is a very much like a I don't know if this is demeaning to you, so tell me if it is. But, like, it is very much being, like, proud of your little brother. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm going to cry. I, like, love him so much. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you. He he is. He's, like, he's, he is uh going from, hey, I'm going to edit your podcast or try to, like, help with it to being, like, a focal point of your podcast and your baby is, like, I don't know. That's like a story that nobody else ever could possibly tell. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you're really proud. I am. Yeah. I'm very proud. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to cry for a second. Yeah. Here, you mute and cry. I'm going to hit the list with some modern green facts. So I yeah. think it's unfair. They don't need to hear no, 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 no. I'm doing Patreon it. Patreon only. No, no. All right. No, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Here, Here's the thing, listeners. And this is all I'm going to say. I won't say too much. Everyone keeps telling me, oh, it's all about who draws Nykthos first. Ha <laughs> ha, I have deep analysis. And it's true. If you get a Nykthos and you have a good fast early start, you'll win. But the reason you're winning is because you're ahead on board. And the board is what matters. And if you're ahead on board, you will win. And it is not helpful advice to come back from testing and be like, hey, uh, guess what? I drew Nykthos more than I won. It's no, I got on board and that's what matters. And if your takeaway from the games was, like for example, you're pro- some of you are probably listening right now and being a little insulted that I'm talking to you like this because that was your takeaway. This should be a learning moment of identifying that you were very close to figuring out what actually mattered, and instead you were figuring out like a thing that was causing the thing to matter. So, for example, if you can get a bunch of old growth trolls on the board early, or cavaliers, or like do that sort of thing, and you're putting as planeswalkers, you can just push them and take the board advantage. You don't need the combo. I have won a lot of Mono Green Mirrors, never drawing Nykthos. It is not hard. I mean, you have to technically draw it randomly. It's like a not deck that has any... No, you have but... to draw it! You just put it into play! Oh my gosh, yeah. can I pile onto this? Because sure. it is so upsetting. Uh, Mason just talked about something so important. And I'm like losing my mind. One, why is Old Growth Troll good in the deck, Mason? It is big body to stop aggro deck, three pips. Yep, that's it. And also is beats it, down. It, a little, it, but yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Um, it, it beats down. Okay. Is it. If you had any other. Like, if it was an 04, though. Oh, no, it would not be as good. It, it has, it has to kill the creature in combat. It's got to eat. Oh, them. okay. If it was a 3 4. Whatever. 
I, it, the fact that it's a 4-4, busted. It would still see play if it had, like, a mana ability instead of power. Like, the three pips and the fact that it is blocking so well is busted. Yeah, and the Sigurd's Cure, too, but yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. that one, too, yes. Yeah. Like, uh, we got the meanest comment I've ever received, uh, ever, is actually about this deck. I believe that, like, I'm pretty good at Mono Green Devotion. I literally was, like, one of the pioneers of the deck in Standard. And uh, that was a funny joke that I didn't mean to make. I think that this deck was really well positioned. I think the fact that you see it destroying the top 32 of this event, being 30% of the metagame, says two things. One, it had some med matchups. People were prepared for it. Congratulations. It not getting a top eight is a little weird. But I think that like the number of people that see Monogreen not getting a top eight and are like, Monogreen wasn't good, everybody was wrong. It's like, no, did you look at the top 64? It like dumpstered bad decks. Like it dumpstered them. And its win percentage was probably like 48 to like 54 mm-hmm. at the end of the week. It, it was. Uh, I mean, they had the stats from the the RC. Oh, what was it? It was forty-seven. Okay. Yeah, I, I made a tweet. I don't, I don't know if you saw my tweet. I basically the the tweet I made today was like, obviously, mono green is good, and this is very important to understand for what I'm about to say. Mono green is good. It is one of the best decks in Pioneer. However, mono green is not so much better than everything else that it can't lose a tournament. And yes, and players are really quick to like assume it's ban, unbeatable. They, they'd rather ban than work. Well, sure, some people that way, but yes, also they they just rather win than do the work. A lot like to Derek's oh, credit, sure. Derek does a lot of work, and the thing Derek always you have to learn to speak Derek. That's the secret chat. Derek says I work harder What's than everyone. Happening? No, 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 no. This, this is podcast this is turning into. So you have to work really hard in order to figure things out. And that's why Derek's like one of the few red black players that can beat mono green because he understands the matchup and he builds his deck on weekends to fight and sometimes chooses not to fight as much and makes like constant choices, right? This weekend, well, everyone chose to fight mono green. And I believe mono green underrepresented in top eight conversions if we run the tournament 50 times, right? If we run this 50 times, I think mono green should have a couple more, like on average. And it should, when it should be slightly higher. However, this is the real world we live in. And yes. your deck can be beaten. Like, your deck yes. is not infallible. It has obvious weaknesses. I, and if you don't see it wanna, obvious weaknesses, you're bad at magic. Full stop. I actually, I want to, oh man, that was such a ginger take. But I'm going <laughs> to dive into this ginger moment for a second too. <laughs> yeah. For like, one of our best podcast moments was the Thought Seize clip. Yeah. Like, literally, Derek, listen, Derek and I were different humans. Uh, I loved podcasting with Derek. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of positive like, feedback it. at the RC about Derek on. They people want him back. Like, <laughs> like I, Derek and I are polar opposites, and we agreed more on that podcast than I would have ever imagined we would agree. Mm-hmm. I think Mason's number one take from the podcast is like, "Man, you and Derek were like in sync," and I was like, "Yeah, that's weird. I don't know what to say to you." Um, but like, he, it's true. Having this moment where you're like, 
there was a really good take. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tangent a little bit. One, I think that Derek is really good at identifying what turns are important for red-black. Mm-hmm. And when you can do that and you understand what different decks are trying to do, it makes your Thoughtseize deck better. It makes your, whether it's Go Blink, whether, like, whatever you're trying to do, it's a lot better. With Mono Green specifically, understanding your sequencing is the most important thing, just like why Derek would be good against that. Hmm. And what happens is people figure out a disruption for your sequence that you don't know about going to this event. And so then you're disrupted and you're you're basically aft, right? Like that doesn't make monogreen bad. It means that now monogreen has to adjust. What's so funny to me is before this event, everyone wanted Nykthos banned. Hmm. And now everyone's like monogreen is bad. No, the other people don't think that. I mean, maybe maybe like bad players do. But yeah, like Okay. All right. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you look at the idiotic takes on sure. Twitter. Join Hive, follow me. Just like Love Hive. Calm down. Yeah. Like calm the freaking heck down. Yeah. I, I, I people were prepared for a deck. They disrupted the sequence. It got messed up. What are you gonna say? I was just gonna say, I think the thing to remember, and remember earlier our second guy said, like, if you don't see that monogreen has weaknesses, you're you're in cuckooville. You're just not you're not living in the real world. That doesn't mean that the weaknesses mean you can't play mono green. It just means if enough people come to exploit your weakness, then you're going to have issues. And if enough people come from a bunch of different angles, it's going to be really hard to solve those issues. And that doesn't mean green's not a good choice. I just told you about how until Tuesday before the event and the deck was supposed to do Thursday, I almost played mono green. It is really strong and can overcome those things. But acting like your deck has no bad matchups or has no problems is not being honest with yourself. No, Be that's just how everybody you. operates, man. Every deck is broken and has no bad matchups. Well, every deck is cobblade. We all know it. No, every deck when I play it was like that because I'm the GOAT. <laughs> anyway. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, thank you, Mason, for giving us your insights into your PT qualification. Thank you to me for teaching everybody about combo control. But mostly, thank you to our patrons. Our, for, our next question is how... Do you yourself to focus on the process doing well despite having several mediocre or poor finishes? Or another way to put it is how do you not get a sturge by doing well or qualifying for the RC despite multiple or not qualifying for the RC for multiple attempts? I'm going to use a couple of people as an example. Uh, one of them is Michael Hinderocker. One of them is myself, two hosts of the show. And one of them is Marcy. She's a local Utah player, and I'm going to use all of them. Michael Hinderocker, I think, had an 8th RCQ top 8 span before winning one. Uh, PBDQ, I, for what it's worth. PBDQ, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Handy uh, isn't watching. Yeah, that's he's, actually, he's, he's that's actually really important. Yeah. It's really important. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had, I think, an 11 won one season where I top 8 11 and didn't qualify. All of them with Team or Black. My favorite deck of all time. Hmm. Uh, I think Marcy, uh, U- local Utah player, she is. At, you can actually watch her play Elementals and multiple decks on our YouTube channel from the Gingrid uh, stuff. She, I think, she literally has the most RCU top eights in Utah by a substantial margin. She 
I, she did not win one in season one. She won the first one, I think, she top eight in season two. It sometimes just doesn't happen. Like, I this is the question here is what are your results and what are you trying to do? Because the truth is, is eventually Michael was the best player in Utah. Eventually, Spencer was the best player in Utah. I think that eventually, Marcy will be the best player in Utah. I actually believe that. I don't think she listens to this podcast. I'll just say it. She's insane. It is. So much of it is about... I, I actually... It was a top eight. We both top eighted. I won my top eight match. She lost her top eight match. I look at Marcy and said, Marcy, I, I lost 11 PBDU top eights in a row. She's like, really? This is my 10th. It's like, yeah, you know what? Don't worry about it. You are good enough. Don't focus on the end. Focus on what you could do. And it will change the whole narrative. Sometimes you're unlucky. Too often, we focus on how we got unlucky instead of what we could do. If you focus on what you could do instead of how you got unlucky, it shifts it. It moves it towards the things that you could do better Instead of the things that you couldn't control. You can't fix the things you can't control. So ignore it. Whatever. Mm. But don't use it as an excuse. It's not about I couldn't do it. It's about what could I do. Did you make the wrong sideboard decisions? Did you make like. I know this is this nonsensical advice for so many people that are like. No you guys say this every week. But like I'm not getting it. That's it though. If you top aided six RCQs and didn't win one, what did you do wrong? Um, I, I think along those lines, by the way, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, Spencer, I understand I'm doing something wrong. How do I solve what I did wrong? I think it is good to be honest with yourself about what you're not very good at and what is like surprising when you watch people play and try and find ways to work on that. And there's a lot of old articles out there on Star City and CFB that you can read for free. There's coaching you can get from people that can really help. There's like a lot of Twitch channels. There are a lot of ones that don't have a lot of viewers with like very good players who are very informative and they're just less entertaining than other people so they don't get as much views. There are people that will help you just try to work on it. Just try and do something like that. My, my answer to the question though is I think that you are fundamentally coming at it from the wrong angle almost. And, yes. and, maybe, and maybe that's just the way this is worded. And if this isn't you, I'm so sorry, patron but maybe yeah. it would be helpful for their listeners. You, you started the question is how do I get yourself to focus on the process of doing well, despite having, so it doesn't matter when you said that, blah, blah, blah. What matters to me when I, when I read this question, when how, I, how it seems that you're thinking to me is that you're saying, Hey, how do I focus on the process when things aren't going well? Well, you're not really focusing on the process. You're focusing on the results and you feel like you're focusing yes. on the process. It, it is. It, it is. is uh, let me, let me dive in here. You're saying I top eighted these events. How do I focus on the process after top eighting? Yeah. Well, the the event is the whole thing. Well, the the process is the whole thing, right? Like it's not about the event top eight. It's about that's what, uh, it's about working towards this thing and working on improving. My goal for years and years and years and still is is to be a better Mason than played the last tournament I played. As I get better and better. This is harder and harder to do. It is very hard for me to improve in a meaningful, big way 
from the me that just qualified for RC. I definitely can't. I have a lot of things I can work on. I am working on those things. However, it takes more work and it takes more part of the process. When you're early on in improving at magic, you shoot up very rapidly, but you need to focus on the process and not about the results. It doesn't matter if you get the RC invite, if you got there and you did all the wrong things, you won't do it again. i rather queue for five RCs and miss one season than queue for one and never queue again. Focus on getting better at magic. Focus on attacking and blocking, sideboarding, thinking about things. Please stop focusing on if you got the foil Nykthos. Having a bunch of Nykthoses is not a brag. It is a mark of shame. That should motivate you. If you have 10 Nykthoses, it's, oh my gosh, I missed nine times. I need to work on getting better at these things. And I promise you, you can. We've all done it and you can get better. I am not very good at magic compared to where I want to be. I am way better than a lot of people. I have a bunch to work on. If I can find things to work on, then you can find things to work on. And I feel really validated about this when I see I hear Seth say things like, wow, I played that game really poorly when I watched him play Phoenix. It's like, it's like yeah, 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 you, you did. And did you have things I, to work on. You're Seth Manfield. You're in the yeah, Hall of Fame. I, <laughs> As you told me yeah. earlier in the day, I was like, hey, do you have a pro tour invite? And you're like, yeah, I'm in the Hall. I'm like, I know you're in the Hall of Fame, Seth Manfield. But like, I, <laughs> you know. I, 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 uh, I was in Seth's stream the other day and he was losing. And he was like talking about all these things he did wrong on his like cube draft. And I was like, Holy crap, man. Like, I didn't even see these three plays that you just mentioned. And this is a cube draft. It's not like a thing that Seth does every week. Mm -hmm. I, uh, we're very lucky to have Seth part of this family. I want to echo Mason that, like, this is what the podcast is about. And I know that, like, these questions will answer a lot. And that doesn't mean that your question is dumb. It's not dumb. It's the whole reason the podcast exists. Yes. It's hard. Yeah. If self-reflection was easy, it wouldn't sell millions and billions of dollars of books per year. Like, it's just a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, and also, for its worth, patron, you kind of got, like, a little, maybe not blasted, but there was a lot of, like, intensity towards your question today. That is partly because, at a certain point... We have to speak like candidly and we have to speak yeah. like honestly. And if we always answer this question with like, oh, do these things, da, 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 you'll get that there. And we don't like really get down to the root. Yeah. We are doing you a disservice. My goal I, is to make it so you no longer need to listen to CC. That is my goal. I want you to yes. get so good yeah. that you don't listen to us. Yeah. I want you to be like, yeah, I only listen to like the news because I'm a go to magic. I don't want you to have, like stay. I, I, don't I don't want you to listen to the news ever. Yeah, I, um, I don't want but, you to be in this ecosystem for forever. I want you to outgrow CC. That is my yeah. dream. Yep. For what it's worth, though, um, I want to recommend something really quick before we move on to our YouTube comment, which is the book Radical Candor. Look it up, Kim Scott. There's a 10 minute video that breaks it down. What Mason and I just did was Radical Candor. It, we came at it from a like a literal love for you, like. We are telling you this out of love, out of affection, out of like, we want to help you improve. Look up Radical Candor. Talk to people that way. It makes them better at life and at magic. YouTube comment says, please make a video on the current modern ban list. What could be banned or unbanned? What would you like? We'd love to hear your perspective. 
Mason, you want to do that with me this week? I'll do it. Well, for what it's worth, if they wanted to hear this, you should listen to the Patreon-only episode from last month where Abe and I went over this topic for about five minutes. You were gone, but it was one of the <gasps> things. So you could have... Oh my god! You could have had this already, but I'll give you... Here's what I'll do, Spencer, to make it fair. I will tell you the two cards that I... The one I would unban and the one I would ban. I won't give you yeah, any I, reasons. If they want to hear that, they can go online. And then I'll let you do your whole thing here as a little sneak preview. Yeah. You didn't have to do it, all right? Here's the card yeah. I would unban. Green Sun Zenith. Here's the card I would ban. Mishra's Bobble. I would never ban Mishra's Bobble. I would unban Green Sun Zenith. That was actually going to be my pick. I would ban... Oh, this is hard. I, I would just ban Commanders. Or uh, companions. <laughs> I was like legendary creatures. That's a bold no, ban, but I, I, like I would just <laughs> I would just ban companions. I think nothing good comes from them. I I think Green Sun Zenith would be my unban. I don't know what deck that helps other than I don't know like green. Uh, what's the three four reach elemental deck? Uh, the card called uh, uh, Endurance. Yeah, Endurance. I it just it only helps Endurance. I I don't think that matters. I don't even think Endurance Act would play it. Like, I, I actually, I think that Modern has gotten so much better than this card. It's crazy that it's still banned. And the fact that people are like, oh, no, no, you can grab this 1-1 one, one for one mana. I'm like, okay, like, go for it. I mean, I, I think Dryad Arbor is very good with it. But I don't think that's unbeatable. Like, for example, I don't think Green's that it's in that... I don't think it's in the hemisphere of what's happening in modern right now. Nah, I disagree. I think I think that if it would get unbanned, it would see play. I don't think it would just be broken. That's the thing. Like, for example, All right. the, the Yogg right, deck, the Yogg deck is really good. I'm going to change my answer. All right. I like this. I swear to God, if you say Birthing Pod, I'm turning off my recording. So get Birthing Pod oh. is what I would unban. Let's go. Are you saying that just because I said that? Were you honest? No, I actually, oh. I was going to, if it's not Greenson, then if it's Pod. I just like I think oh, that pod. <laughs> you insta win if you untap with it. Like if you if like if you do the thing, there's so many things that you just combo off with instantly. All right, fine, twin. I don't uh, know. Twin, I'm but down with. Twin, I'm down. Listen, you can have your opinion. I can disagree, buddy. It doesn't have. We don't have to like have like a, I a consensus. Here's the thing. I, I was gonna say Green Sun Zenith, and then you were telling me why mean, my Green Sun Zenith opinion was bad. No, I had the same opinion. I'm just. I'm not saying right. it's bad. I'm just saying. Thank you. I'm just everybody saying I agree so much. For listening. Mason agrees with me. We agree with you. Leave a comment. Tell us what you would ban and unban. Leave a comment. I'll record a video about it. I don't have a job. Let's go. You want to support me directly? Head on over to at Spencer13H, CCMTG, Smash Through, Need to Nerd, Easy Game Media. But mostly support Mason because he's the hero of all of this, according to everybody else. I'm the GOAT. Uh, if you want to support me, you can. You had, uh Well, you gotta get you goat horns, man. Yeah, Let's exactly. Go. Yeah, we need goat horns on my token that's coming. Uh, <laughs> do not put goat no, horns on my token. Can make that happen? Do not. I'm gonna do it now. Just put a goat no, in the you background. You already did it. You should put a goat you in the foreground. That'd be cooler. Uh, okay, anyway, I'll make it happen. Anyways, uh, if you want to support me, you can go to twitch.tv slash Clark. I stream there. I'm streaming more now. The RC is over. I'm back. I'm back on the grind. Uh, you can go to my articles each and every Thursday. Over at Card Kingdom, this week we're going to have an article about Phoenix, lessons learned from the podcast, I'm sorry, from the, the RC, and some other deck lists that did really well at the RC, like Raja Suleiman's uh, Black-White Midrange deck. You can find me on coverage, 
uh, over at NRG Series on Twitch television. I'm going to be commentating the Mundelein event this weekend, so you want to make sure to do that. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Hive at Mason E. Clark. Uh, boom, do that sort of thing, and uh, I'll see you all around. You can like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast, as well as follow Abe at More Nothings. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you want to see more of this stuff, don't forget to comment, like, subscribe. And, Mason, I just want to say really quickly, I'm really proud of you. I was rooting for you so hard this weekend. And everyone, everyone loves a good Mason Clark story. Thank you all so much. We'll see you guys next week with another episode of CCN. I got the magic in me every time.